it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we're going to do something a little different. So all of us in the finance world got some really, really, really sad news yesterday, the day before. Charlie Munger has passed away. I heard this through Twitter. One of the people I follow mentioned it to me. And so I heard about it. So I've been, we've been trying to process his life and what he's meant to us. And we thought maybe today we would share some of our thoughts about Charlie and how he has impacted us, not only personally, but also in our investing. And he's also cast a big shadow over our show along with Warren. So we thought it would be appropriate to talk a little bit about our thoughts related to Charlie. And every podcast in the world that's related to finance is going to be talking about Charlie. And I think that's appropriate, but we thought we would share our points of view. So with that, then maybe I can start off a little bit by talking about maybe what Charlie, kind of one of the things that a big impact he had on me. And one of them is something a lot of people don't really talk about much. And for me, it was the story of perseverance. So most people see Charlie as this titan of industry, extremely wealthy man and very successful man. But what a lot of people don't know is his earlier backstory is not so great. And he had a kind of a, a rough life for a while and he never gave up. He just kept moving along and moving along. And so you're probably asking yourself, well, Dave, what kind of hard life did he have? He was, you know, a billionaire. Well, for those who don't know, Charlie was, he got divorced at a young age. He had been married for eight years and he and his wife separated. And this was back in the 1950s. And you may be thinking, okay, yeah, big deal. But back in the 1950s, divorce was a big, big thing. And it was not as nearly as common as it is today. 
And so there was a very big social stigma on couples that got divorced back in the 50s. And so Charlie had to endure that whole period. Now, also keep in mind that he lost everything in the divorce. His wife got the house. They, she got all of his money, all of his investments, took part of his business. And so she got everything. And he ended up having to live in, as one of his friends put it, deplorable you know, situation. So I don't know specifically how awful it was, but I'm just kind of envisioning a, you know, kind of a one room kind of apartment with, you know, the bare necessities in the apartment and just, you know, not being a great situation. A year later, his eight year old son was diagnosed with leukemia. Keep in mind, again, this is in the 1950s. So the medical advances that we have today were not available at that time. So Charlie and his ex-wife had to go to the hospital together. So he had to endure that whole situation, that awkwardness with his ex-wife, also trying to hopefully help save their son. He's at the hospital. He's taking his son every day for treatments to get blood work done, spending as much time as he can with him. And unfortunately, a year later, he passed away. So he lost his nine-year-old son a year after he got divorced. So most people would go into a shell after something like that. Most people would crawl under a rock. They would hide in alcohol or drugs. And Charlie didn't do that. He just, he kept grinding. He kept working. He kept trying to do the right thing and believing that life would get better. And it did for a while, but then in his 50s, he developed cataracts in his eyes. And during surgery to remove one of the cataracts, they basically butchered the surgery and he had to keep the eye and the cataracts and he developed cancer in the eye and it became so painful that they had to remove one of his eyes. And so he only had one eye for the rest of his life. And now that is would be a tragedy in and of itself, but Charlie also was a book with legs and he read voraciously throughout his entire life. So that would have been a huge adaptation that he would have had to have made to his life. But again, he didn't give up. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. If you listen to any of his speeches, if you listen to any of his, read any of his writings, he doesn't belabor his point, he doesn't even talk about these struggles that he faced hardly ever. And these are all things that could have greatly derailed his life and he chose not to let them. And those kinds of things, whenever I've struggled with any sort of personal struggles, whether it was going through a divorce, discovering I had diabetes, having a heart attack, any of those kinds of things, they don't rise, I think, to the same level as what Charlie experienced, but they could easily distract you or derail you. But I chose to listen to what Charlie was saying and try to continue doing what I felt like needed to be done. And that to me is one of the things that I think if we can take anything away from his life is the idea that life will throw you challenges. You know, it's not all going to be, you know, roses and sunshine and there's going to be hard periods in all of our lives. And hopefully not, but the chances are excellent <laughs> that you will have struggles in your life. And if you can think through some of the things that I was just talking about with Charlie and you can take solace in that or you can take comfort in those ideas and they can help you improve, then Charlie's life is one that was well worth lived because that's what he's done for me and that's what I hope he could do for you. 
And that's one of the things that I have taken away from Charlie. So now I have spoken for a long time now. (laughs) So I'm going to let Sir Andrew kind of take the stand for just a moment. It's it's so powerful. You know, I wonder if he never really even had to do the annual meetings. Mm. Like if that's something he chose to do because he realized that the things he says makes an impact. I mean, by the time they started doing the annual meetings with Berkshire, he was already what? multi-millionaire, billionaire. Oh, yeah. Didn't need to go to these meetings. No, they didn't have to do them. I think he had the sense that his life could inspire others, and it's very clear it has. I know for you and for me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I guess what are a few things that maybe you have learned from Charlie on your journey that you feel have been helpful to you and helped us help other people? Don't have time to search the whole stock market. Tired of waiting through endless information? Instead, get my trusted stock picks at valuespotlight.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I mean, not nearly as profound as what you were talking about, but I really enjoyed the way he would speak often about mental models mm-hmm. and about the importance of having a well-rounded education as an investor. 
mm-hmm. and this idea that you can take concepts from the sciences, biology, he said, especially psychology, and apply that to investing in the stock market. And those things can be sometimes even more powerful than the traditional finance stuff that you learn trying to trying to pick stocks. And I don't know if he had never said those things. I wonder if I just wouldn't have given the respect or attention that that some of those things should be given. I mean, just to be a well-rounded person in general, but also to become a better investor. Because once you kind of realize those things are there, you start seeing them. And it is fascinating. I, I feel like I've belabored the tree metaphor countlessly on the show. But it is, if you think about the way a forest grows and the competition, but also some of the synergies that happen as a forest grows, there's just a lot of parallels to the business world. Mm-hmm. And then maybe my favorite one when it comes to trees is no tree grows to the sky. And then that's important to remember as an investor too. Yeah, it is. I think the thing that I always enjoyed about Charlie especially in conjunction with Warren and you know Charlie was a great man on and up into himself unto himself as you know a part of the grouping but he was also a great person on his own and he a lot of times because he was more i guess understated than Warren he probably faded into the background a little more than i think his intellect and his ability really deserved and a lot of people you know, he wasn't as wealthy as Charlie or as Warren, and he wasn't as outgoing. He wasn't as gregarious. He rarely, rarely gave interviews, and he would rarely go on TV where, you know, Warren was on TV, not a lot, but he was certainly on CNBC with Becky Quick, you know, not regularly, maybe a little bit, a bit of a stretch, but more frequently. Whereas Charlie basically chose to be at home with his, with family and friends and not really interact much with the public, and which is fine. But I think when you would watch him, not so much at the Berkshire meetings, but when you would watch him at the Daily Journal meetings where he was the chairman of the board for that company for a very, very long time, then you got to really see him really kind of spread his wings, if you will, because he was the main focus. He was the main show at those meetings as opposed to the Berkshire meetings. And so he would be a lot more eloquent in those meetings than he would be at Berkshire. But he would certainly drop a lot of his famous one-liners or his little wits, you know, you know, EBITDA is, you know, bullshit and the whole Bitcoin rat poison kind of idea. Those all came from those shorter, you know, sessions and his shorter wit. But if you ever listen to any of his speeches and in particular, uh, the two that I really kind of come back to, one is the one he did at USC and the other one was the one he did at Harvard. Well, the, the Psychology of Human Misjudgment is the title of that one. And that's probably his most famous one. And he has 25 different tendencies or biases that he exposes in that speech that you could spend you know, a lifetime researching each one. And he goes through 25 of them. And when you really sit down and think through all of them, they're all so brilliant and they're all such great mental models. And when you think about them logically, they all make so much sense and they really help explain why we humans do the things that we do because sometimes they can be very illogical and very, if you step back away from it, why do we react that way to these certain things? And it's not just about business. It was about how to live a life. And I think that's one of the things that I always liked about 
kind of his contrast to Warren was that Charlie, I felt like, focused way more on the mental side of investing and focused more on trying to be a better person than Warren did. And I'm not saying that Warren Buffett was is not and does not focus on those things. I always felt like Charlie, though, that was really kind of his thing. And, you know, the mental models and everything like that, those I think are legendary. And I know Andrew spends a lot of time thinking about mental models and how you can try to take these ideas and use them as a framework to help guide other decisions. And I think it's a fantastic way to try to make decisions because then it's not as emotional. And that's one of the things that I admire about what Andrew does and has done is that he really tries to focus on those things. And I think that's very, very helpful, not only to his work and his investing, but also as a person. And that's what makes people grow and become better is by trying to be consistent with their emotions and their decisions. And that's a really, really hard place to get to, for sure. What would you say, how has he shaped you as an investor? I mean, obviously, there's so many great lessons and mm-hmm. and the mental models. If you could boil it down, how would you say Charlie Munger has shaped you as an investor? I think probably the biggest thing that I have learned from him that I've really, really tried to apply is this idea of inversion. This idea of looking at an idea and trying to tear it down or reverse engineer it to figure out A, how it can be successful and B, how it cannot be successful and what has to happen for it to avoid that becoming a reality. So in other words, when you think about investing in a company, most people when they invest in, I'll just pick a company, Visa. When most people invest in Visa, they spend the majority of their time thinking how this investment can be successful. And I think there's value in that. But Charlie would argue that the best way to have a long-term success with that investment is to figure out what can make it successful, but also figure out what could make it not successful and then try to determine how likely those scenarios are to become. So if you are investing in a company like Visa, you obviously want to know what the business model is and what drives their growth, but you also want to know what could disrupt it and what could unseat the company, what could cause Visa not to be a great investment. Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe two years down the road. And how could it go awry? And I think... By trying to, I guess, reverse engineer those kinds of ideas, that really helps me, hopefully, understand what it is I'm trying to buy and why I'm trying to buy it. It's not just because I want to get rich or it's not because I want the company to be successful. It's also what are the things that drive Visa being successful, for example, and what are the potential downfalls for buying this investment? and how likely are those downfalls? Bitcoin is the one that always comes up is that Bitcoin is going to unseat Visa. And it may, but if you really understand Visa, then you would spend time trying to understand Bitcoin at least a little bit and see how likely something like that could be to unseat a company like Visa. And so for me, when I think about Charlie and what I've learned from him, inversion is always the thing that comes to mind. And it's not just about investing. It's about how do I invert my diet so that I'm diabetic 
I don't want to go on another medication. How can I reverse engineer what I'm eating and experiment with what I'm eating and try to figure out what's causing, what, what can I not eat and avoid having to take medication to control my diabetes? And that leads you to lots of different places to research different kinds of foods and the impacts they can have on you. It also leads you to testing. That's really the only way you can find out is, hey, if I eat an apple, is that going to spike my sugar? And if it does, okay, I can't have apples. Oh, let's try strawberries. Eh, see, strawberries do, but not as bad. And then you can try something like blueberries. Oh, yeah, blueberries. You know, you think, oh, that's, that's not going to be, but you eat them, they don't spike your sugar at all. So, okay. So now if I'm craving a sugary snack, I can have blueberries. And it's just those little things that you can do to, you know, not to turn this into a diabetes conversation, but that's how I've used an idea like inversion in my personal life. And there, there's lots of different ways that you can use use these different models, but that's that's the thing that has really kind of impacted me the most. What about you? What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of... Classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh. Stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. That one's definitely, I don't know if, if I would say it's the most, but it's definitely up there is probably one of the top impacts. Maybe the hat tip to Charlie. He would probably enjoy a conversation like this because I know he's probably got the thickest skin any investor can. Right. How would you invert one of his best investment ideas and kind of attack it? Not to say that, you know, this is a bad idea, but just to kind of invert to say, all right, what are the ways that this investment have? can fail and what is the investment 
what is this company doing to combat it? Right. That's a great question. I think when he passed, he only had four companies in his portfolio. So uh, it's a pretty limited choice. So I think maybe instead of directly trying to tear one down, I'll I'll kind of look and you can kind of see maybe what did happen with one and how it did impact that investment. And that would be Wells Fargo. So if you looked at Wells Fargo 20 years ago, the company was revered as one of the best banks out there. They had a great culture. They had, you know, growing sales. They seemed to have, you know, very strong management, very strong balance sheet. And it really seemed like they were on top of the world. And at one point, I think, believe they were the top bank by market cap globally. And that all came crashing down when it was discovered that they were, that management was allowing lower level employees to basically cheat their customers by opening fake accounts, opening fake credit cards, all these things in pursuit of... What about Costco? What about Costco? Yeah. Well, Costco, I think, you know, that is an enduring company with an enduring moat. And I think really the only thing that really I could come up with that could potentially upseat a company like that would be a change in management that doesn't believe in the same culture that pervades the company. And if they got the wrong manager in there, I would worry that could filter down into all the things that makes Costco special. In other words, finding the best products for a really great price and they ruin relationships with their vendors, which causes them to not have as good of products then there could be a potential for they could raise prices such that people feel like they're not getting a deal anymore and they're doing that because they're not getting as good a prices from their vendors and the quality of the product degrades. So you have a combination of price increases along with deteriorating products that would filter back into people not subscribing to be a member right now their renewal rate is 90 91% or some crazy number like that and if that ever started to deteriorate that would eat into their margins and that would eat into their profitability and it would just kind of all kind of cascade down from there but i i would feel like that if they got you know if they got an air quote ham sandwich in there to run the company and they didn't stick to what they had been doing that you know, if they tried to change the formula, then I think that would probably unseat Costco. What about you? Yeah, that's a good one. That's really the only thing I can think of that could really derail the company. I mean, it's such a strong business that I think if things stay status quo, I don't see anything coming in to try to disrupt them, if you will. What about the Amazon risk? Well, I think that's, of course, there's always a risk, but I think Amazon has been doing what they've been doing for so long and Costco has continued to do what they do. I don't really think it's, it hasn't shown itself as much of a risk to Costco. And I don't think that they can really do anything at this point that really will unseat it. I think their opportunity was years ago and it, it didn't materialize. And so now I think that's kind of water under the bridge. I'm probably the biggest Costco fan in my zip code. So <laughs> I also have shares in Costco. So you have to take all of this with a grain of salt. But to me, the context of shopping at Costco versus Amazon is completely different. Mm. And so 
if you invert the problem and say, can Amazon beat Costco because Amazon can get it to your house really, really fast. They might be, you know, five years away from getting it to your house in an hour if they don't do that already, right? But maybe doing right. it for free. So you, you think, okay, well, why wouldn't a customer pick that? Why would they go to Costco? And just as a Costco shopper, I feel like the context for me is if I want something that's 30 bucks on Amazon, that's a small thing like microphone cables that I need to replace, I'm going to buy it from Amazon. Mm-hmm. If I have this itching desire to spend 300 bucks that I didn't plan to spend, I got to Costco. Right. I mean, Costco just has different deals every single time you go. Mm-hmm. It's just a completely different shopping experience and you're getting an insane amount of value mm-hmm. every time you go. Right. And so if the context is different by inverting kind of an instead of like concentrating on why Costco is so great, why you think about why what makes them different. And I feel like that can help them compete against Amazon, mm-hmm. compete against Walmart, compete against these other places that might try to undercut them, mm-hmm. but can't because of the way, to your point, management keeps the margins down so that customers get that extra value. Mm-hmm. You have to be really dumb to mess with that recipe. Yeah, you would. You would for sure. You know, to me, I'm maybe not as big a fan as you, but I'm probably close. <laughs> and I'm newer to the cult, if you will, than others. But one of the things that I have noticed is that the difference for me anyway, is that when I go to a Costco store, I experience finding these little nuggets of things that are so awesome for example, a couple of things that kind of spring to mind. I found these green olives that were stuffed with garlic and jalapenos. So two of my favorite things all in one little package. And it was so addicting eating those things. You know, you buy this 20 ounce can or, you know, bottle of these olives and I devour the whole thing, you know, in like two days, you know, and I then get my daughter-in-law hooked on them. And so we're both like just craving these things. And that to me is not something I necessarily would find thumbing through on my phone on Amazon. Yeah, I could, but when it's there and it's visceral and you can see it and touch it, it's a different experience than when you see it online. And it's not necessarily something you wouldn't find it unless you were in the store. And then another thing that, uh, you know, how they all have all those little tasters, you know, around the store. Well, this one woman had these little chocolate barks. They were dark chocolate, uh, little nuts in them. And it had like a little bit of like a blueberry flavor infused into the dark chocolate. And I ate one and it was like, it was like heaven. Just, and I bought a bag and then I buy them every single time I go back to Costco because it's just, you know, it's something I can eat. You know, know, it's dark chocolate, so it's not sweet, sweet, but it's sweet. And it's something I can eat. It doesn't hamper my diabetes. And I love it. And that's not something I would, again, discover online. And so to me, that's what makes Costco not impervious, but I think that's what separates them from Amazon to me. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if Charlie's ever outright said this, Mm -mm. but I'm pretty sure he's a super big Costco fan as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I I do know that this guy has billions of dollars and Mm -hmm. he buys his clothes from Costco. Right. He's got to love the mentality. I mean, mm-hmm. value investor through and through, go to Costco, right. get a good deal. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing to me about Costco is I remember going there as a kid and it's the exact same experience. Mm-hmm. Like 
is really they had the formula. It's been there. It's been hiding in plain sight all of these years. Right. Only somebody like Charlie was smart enough to take advantage of that. And right. I mean, I don't even know what the numbers are on on how much money he's made on that, but the compoundings have. It's got to be stupid. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be nuts. And he was on the board of directors for them for a long, long time. I don't have the specific numbers, but it was decades. So I know he was intimately involved in what they were doing for sure. Yeah. I guess anything else about Charlie's life feel like we've left unsaid out of the millions of things we could say? Yeah. I think the last thing I probably would want to touch a little bit on is just his love of learning and his continual efforts to improve himself and trying to become better whatever it was and i just think that you know he was he like warren was a perpetual learning machine and that i aspire to because he was endlessly curious and he always wanted to learn more and he spent a lot of time talking to some of the smartest people in the world and he continually loved to learn loved to meet new people loved to learn new ideas and discover new things and try to figure out different angles of things that he thought he probably already knew. And I just think that continual effort to learn something and never be, not satisfied, that's not quite the right word for it, but never be content that you know everything you could possibly know about a particular subject. And I think that having that kind of curiosity and mindset can really, really take you a long, long ways in in life. And that's something that I've always tried to encourage in myself and encourage in my daughter and hopefully that resonates with people because you just, you can never know everything. And that's what I think fu- what makes investing in particular so fascinating. I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you unfamiliar, that was a very common refrain for Charlie at the annual meetings that they would have. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to end it. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for today. Again, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation related to Charlie Munger. If you have not read any of his speeches, I would highly encourage you to go on the internet, the interweb, Google, ChatGPT, Bard, any of them. You'll find all of collection of all of Charlie's speeches. His book, the book, uh, Poor Charlie's Almanac, is also a fantastic read. If you ever really want to dive into the wit and wisdom of Charlie Munger, that would be a great collection for you to read as well. He was a smart, smart man, and there's a lot you can learn from him. And I'll throw into all of the Berkshire meetings are on YouTube and you can find them. And there's just nothing to replace listening to those two guys talk for four hours. It's right. awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. One of our favorite investors, Jake Taylor, he actually listens to those on loop and in the background so that he can absorb them osmosively, I guess. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, with that, we hope you guys enjoyed the show and thank you for enduring us talking about Charlie and his impact on us and hopefully you find some value in what we talked about today and with that i will go ahead and sign us off you guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety emphasis on the safety have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week we hope you enjoyed this content seven steps to understanding the stock market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples get access today at stockmarketpdf.com Until next time, have a prosperous day. 
The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.